Welcome to another edition of Boilers Extra. We brought you Boilers Extra late the other night after Purdue's uh, thrilling, crazy, uh, upset blowout of Ohio State. We're going to call this Boilers Extra Dry <laughs> because I'm still I'm still fishing for sponsorships. I don't even know if they make Bud Extra Dry or what anymore. But uh, I think we have a sponsor. Do we now? Yes. Uh Mr. DeFabio's mother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, it's the it's the Linda Fabo Boilers Extra podcast. She promised food on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't see that. She gave us a shout out for giving her a shout out. We mentioned food, I think, at some point in that. I'm sure we did. <laughs> I, I, I really have no idea what we mentioned by the time we got done with that thing at uh, 5 a.m. So she meant she said that she would be bringing food at some point. So, I, But I don't. Oh, that's outstanding. I don't know what that means when and all that but i'd be definitely holding that to her holding her to that yeah and um and if i'm really she made she made it she now she now may become a regular listener of ours even without her son on here so we have that going for us wow that's how we that's how you grow an audience i'm really intrigued by this though because you've got you've got the italian side of things that, that who knows what that could mean in terms of what food um, you got the the uh, the, the Pittsburgh uh, cookie table tradition that uh, Mike DeFabo and I have had a lot of conversations <laughs> about that. Probably more about that than anything else uh, in the time that we've worked here together. So um, yeah, I'm really intrigued by this. That's that's the best news I've had uh, all week so well, far. Well, she followed me on Twitter. Oh, okay. I mean, I, that's to me. I don't want to brag. I think she was already following me. So <laughs> okay. Well, I'm I'm usually late to the game. <laughs> well, Purdue was not late to the game. Uh, Saturday night, and if if you were, um, you still saw a, a pretty uh, great night of football in, in Purdue history. Really, um, fifty nine to sorry forty nine to twenty. Don't want to <laughs> don't want to go overboard there. Forty nine to twenty, um, completely uh, controlling that game in a, in a way that I don't think even the most optimistic fans saw coming. I know Tyler Trent. Predicted them to win. He predicted them to win. I think twenty four to twenty one. Right. Um, they went above and beyond <laughs> that. Um, just it's it's the most it's the biggest win I've seen a Purdue team have. But my even though I've been working here now, whatever it is, thirteen years, my time around Purdue football is is shorter than that, really. And I've seen them win a couple bowl games. I've seen them win some other meaningful games, but nothing that had quite the the full importance of this game. Where does it rank as far as just your association with Purdue football? Where does this win rank? Well, I would separate it uh, two ways here. In terms of just the game, it's not going to be number one in the Purdue football games that I've covered. And that may be hard for people to to digest because you're still in the afterglow of this, of this moment. But the game didn't clinch you anything other than the fourth victory of the season. Right. Uh, it gave you a monumental upset over a highly ranked team that has some flaws that this is why you have Jeff Brom on the sideline can expose those flaws. But, you know, I have to go back to the, the 2000 uh, season when they, when they clinched the Rose bowl, because that was a moment you knew was building. You knew, you knew what was going to happen that day. There was just, there was just no doubt Purdue was going to win that game. But that got you to the Rose Bowl. That got you a share of the Big Ten championship and got the program to a place it hadn't experienced in in several decades. And that, as far as my time around the program, and I've been off and on covering it for 25 or so years, 
um, that that still would rank number one because it got you someplace. Yeah. Now, if if this team ends up getting something out of this season more than just going to a bowl game, if they can win the West and you're in the Big Ten championship game, then I think you look back on on Saturday and you know that that will be part of what this season becomes. But there are there are five games left. There's a lot of twists and turns where, you know, remember last year Iowa just put the beat down on Ohio State and then lost its last or lost its next two games. And not that it dampened what they did against Ohio State, but it took the shine off a little bit of their yeah. season. You have to be able, you know, football is a is a sport where you have to follow up each week and you have to get ready and go. But in terms of the day, Saturday, it's probably uh, probably the most memorable day that I've seen in Purdue athletics. And we talked about a little bit Saturday, Sunday morning, Saturday night, whatever, <laughs> whatever time it was. But, you know, I wrote something uh, that's uh, on JC online right now. Just when you combine the whole Tyler Trent story and the nation getting to know his story on ESPN game day, even though, you know, a lot of people have been writing about Tyler for the last year. Uh, but for him to get on that platform and that national stage, for him to make the game when it was in the doubt if he would even be able to get up here, and then the whole changing IU sucks to cancer sucks, and then the game itself. When you combine all those factors together, it was a pretty special day in the history of Purdue athletics. And to me, that's kind of the biggest takeaway um, from that day. And I asked Jeff Brom yesterday, is he, ever been a part of a day like that not just the game but the day and he couldn't he couldn't remember being involved in something that emotional that inspirational um and and just the way they ended just put it just it, it it's a it's a feel-good story in a way even though we're dealing with a young man a, a 20 year old who has terminal bone cancer but it was it was still an uplifting i think an uplifting day for for Purdue, uh, and then you look at the ramifications of that, not only with the awards they got out yesterday, but just having your name out there uh, in, in that setting, in that situation, just should do should do wonders for the university and the athletic department. What a experience for Tyler Trent here in these last couple of weeks. You know, he it, it's kind of just amazing to see this guy that I used to just sort of chat with there uh, before we did basketball interviews in the hallway. Um, and, and now watching him kind of become this celebrity um, for the, for the last, certainly for the past few days, he's been one of the biggest celebrities in college sports in in some ways. Um, and, you know, I was uh, Saturday morning, like you said, it, it, his story kind of really set up the day. I, again, I don't, I sometimes think we make too much about how much those things inspire a whole team. In his case, I think it it definitely there's been an impact, but I don't want to overstate how much it meant as far as blocking and tackling and things like that that night on the field. However, you know, just just sitting there that morning, I, I had talked to my uh, girlfriend Haley a little bit about this story and this guy I knew, and then I, I pulled up the the ESPN thing. We were actually tearing our uh, living room apart at the time, so I didn't even have my TV hooked up. So I had to bring it up on my phone, and like in like two minutes, she's just a puddle. She's just a mess. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. Like this is. Well, this I made is my a- wife watch it. I mean, yeah. and she, I mean, she's familiar with Tyler based on what right. she's read about him, and um, but she'd never really 
you know, heard him talk, you know, share his story and, um, in that, in that form. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, people were introduced to him at, at a different level on Saturday. Yeah. Um, well, it's beyond just the, the significance of the day. We've been on this trajectory where Purdue was changing the narrative of its season a little bit by, you know, coming back and winning at Nebraska, winning at, um, or beating Boston college, winning at Nebraska, winning at Illinois, building some momentum. This was supposed to be the thing that kind of corrected them back into reality. Um, instead it's sort of now put some afterburners on that trajectory. And now we have to start looking at this season in a different framework a little bit. And on one hand, like you say, it is a, it's a, the one game season, if we're going to use a, a Brahmism, um, and you do have to come out and prove yourself again every week. And I don't think winning at East Lansing on Saturday is going to be easy for Purdue by any means. But it also now you start to there are things you consider now for this team that a month ago seemed a little bit out of reach. Yeah, I mean, you're sitting there at zero and three, and you're wondering, are they going to win a game this year? Because it was there was a plausible scenario out there that they they would be. I didn't think they'd go winless, but you're looking at a, you know, a three and nine season, maybe a four and eight, right. um, because you had Boston College coming in. They were on quite quite the roll, and you didn't know how Purdue would act react to that. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Now you're in a situation where you can think about the Big Ten West, and you should think about the Big Ten West. I'm not that shouldn't distract from what you're going to do this week, but. Yeah, you got bigger goals that you can you can get with this team beyond just getting to a bowl game, and uh, you know I think the four teams that are involved in the, in the Big Ten West Championship, you know Purdue is already you know they don't have a clear path even if they win out, if Northwestern wins out they're gonna they're gonna win that thing so you're mm-hmm. you don't control your own situation a hundred percent you right. control it to a certain degree but you don't control it all the way, and with you know, Wisconsin playing Northwestern, Iowa playing Purdue, Northwestern playing Iowa, Wisconsin playing Purdue. You know, this thing's going to change on a weekly basis. And the Big Ten West winner probably will have two losses. And there will probably be a tie. Um, so, but you still you still have to get to that point. And so Purdue's probably got another loss or two coming up in this season just because that's the way it's going to work. But, yeah, it allows you to think bigger, and you should think bigger. It should This should be – Something that this program, based on just in the 20 games that Jeff Brom has been here, and you didn't want to think about it too soon, but yes, Purdue should be a player in the Big Ten West, not only this year, but as you as you move forward. It's so funny that, and I, I've been as, as guilty of this as anybody, but that Eastern Michigan loss was one that looked like it was going to just undo this season, what this season could have been for Purdue. Um, and, and not even because they could play better in later games this season and still lose because they're playing better teams. And maybe that would be the game that cost them a bowl trip. And then now you look at it and you're like, well, as bad as that loss was, really, if they had found a way to beat Northwestern, where would they be right now? I mean, they would they would be the ones controlling their own destiny. They kind of do a little bit. It, they, they control their own destiny to some extent against Wisconsin directly because they still play them. They own it directly a little bit against Iowa because they still play them. But you're right. I mean that they need help, uh, and and it's going to be kind of this weekly thing now. Who be two, and kind of like it is it gets this way sort of at the end of basketball season a lot of times. Like, well, Purdue needs Ohio State to beat Michigan State, but then lose to this other team because then and and, and there's yeah. a lot of 
A plus B equals C. Yeah, so I mean, far. we're there, but we're not all the way there yet, I don't think. I, I think, yes, they do need help, but only... Um, they still got to take care of business. They have to take care of their own business, right. number one. But, you know, I've said this before, and I've written it before, and I'll say it again. I, I don't think they're at this point if they beat Northwestern or they beat Eastern Michigan. I, I think they're at this point because they lost those games. Yeah. I, I really firmly believe that. And they were not ready to beat Northwestern. And as, to some degree, they were not ready to beat Eastern Michigan. I know that sounds a little bit out there, but you were still dealing at that point a young team, a young defense that didn't know its way around. And when you look back, I think we mentioned this the other night, um, you know, you look back at the Missouri game and how, you know, non-aggressive they were on defense. They were just sitting back and doing, you know, what they thought they could get away with on that day. And I don't think that defense was ready to do the things that it did Saturday night against Ohio State with the, the constant pressure and, the, the variety of blitzes that they had. I just don't think that team was ready to do that against Missouri or the coaching staff wasn't comfortable with them doing that against Missouri. They're at a much more different comfort level with this team because they have they have more experience and they've and they've proven themselves in, in, in four game you know, this four game sample size that we're looking at. So um I'm a believer things happen for a reason. I think the O and three start or especially this the O and two start really push this team to where it's at right now. One of the things that stood out to me Saturday night, and I, we talked about it a little bit uh, there in the dark parking lot, um, but just that defensive performance, you know, it, it it's only in college football sometimes where you can give up like 500 yards passing or whatever and come away talking about how, how well the defense played. But Ohio State did also throw the ball 73 times, so they should they should get some yardage out of that. Um, and, and Ohio State had not been running the ball well coming into that game, really. This has been a, a problem they've been dealing with. And and Purdue, I thought, took advantage of that. But I'm, you look into the second, the rest of this season. How sustainable is what they're doing defensively, especially when you factor in things now like, you know, Kenneth Major is banged up, Lorenzo Neal is banged up, um, don't necessarily have, at least what we've seen yet, a ton of depth. I mean, the guys who are playing are playing well, but sometimes those guys are playing in place of other guys who were playing and now aren't playing for a reason. Um, you know, where you know, how many. How much? How how sustainable is this? If if is that is the depth there to sustain this through the rest of a season the way that it would need to in a conference like the Big Ten? Well, defense should always travel. Like your performance on defense is not mm-hmm. affected by the weather. Mm-hmm. It's not affected by some other things, whether it's a day game or night game, whether it's windy or or whatever. So you, you and I think we saw that last season with Purdue. Right. That, that was a that was there was a good example of that. I mean, you can talk about maybe the the not getting a stop on that last drive against Nebraska, but that's really maybe the only thing the whole second half of the year that, that and that's being kind of nitpicky almost. Right. But you know, I, you know, the, but let me get my thoughts back to your here. point. Sorry. <laughs> back, to my, back to my point. But yeah, I mean, you're, this defense now is at a, at a place where it should go to East Lansing and perform well. It should uh, perform well against Iowa. It should perform well at Minnesota and so on, so on and so forth. Just because, you know, there's a lot of, just a lot of things that you do defensively, just outside factors don't don't affect it. Now the the other team and what they can do against you is 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 the biggest factor. And you know, Ohio State was probably the most dynamic team they're going to face the rest of the year. I mean, a lot of these other teams are, um, you know, Michigan State a lot of tight formations, Wisconsin a lot of tight formations. You know, Indiana's probably more of a spread team, which would give them problems. You know, Minnesota. 
uh, you know, has some probably a couple weapons that can cause them some issues. But, you know, I like where this defense is at. And, uh, you know, I think we've posed or I've posed the question. It's just like, you know, through seven games, are they better than they were last year through 13 games defensively? Um, that may not be a question that can be answered right now. And when you look at the numbers of it, the stats of it, they'll tell you no because you're right. They gave up 500 yards, even though some of that's in garbage time when you know Ohio State's down by by three scores. Uh, you know, gave up a bunch of yards to Missouri. Um, even gave up a lot of yards to to Northwestern and gave up a lot of yards to Nebraska. But I think when you drill down and see the points given up uh, during this four game winning streak, 13 against Boston College and they gave up one early and gave up a touchdown late. Um, you know, Nebraska, they were up 27-7 to through midway through the third quarter. You know, Illinois only got seven points. You know, Ohio State only got 20 when they're averaging close to 50 and got and just got stuffed in the red zone. Um, and that's where Ohio State's inability to run the ball really, really hurt, they, hurts that program. And they didn't get a touchdown until the fourth quarter, right? Right. They Yeah, so – there, there are some facets of the defense that, that are better than last year's, but an overall group, I don't know, you know, I don't know if ready to say that right yet, but it, it's been a consistent performance these last four games, I think, from the defense. Um, and I, you know, I think that should travel well whenever, the rest of the season. It would be interesting to take last year's defense, put it with this year's offense, and see what kind of team you had then. Well, but that's obviously those. The, those uh, there are some laws of time. And when space you marry those two, to, when when Jeff Brom can marry those two things together, right. which should be starting next year, yeah, with what they have coming back on defense, and then the pieces of the 2019 class, and then offensively, what you have, what you got coming in, that 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 marriage is going to be a much much tighter. This was going. This still could be. But this was supposed to be a transition year right? for the defense, number one, but probably for the program in general when you looked at the schedule and everything else. You know, that that transition year may lead you to something much, much bigger now. Well, it, I think it's just – this is second year in a row where you can almost say that Purdue's ahead of schedule. They, they, I think they, they were arrived ahead of schedule last year as far as winning six games, getting to a bowl, winning that. That was better than what anybody probably thought. And then what this defense has done, what where this defense has – gone from the first half of Northwestern game to what they did to Ohio is an acceleration. I think some of that, it goes to probably schematic coaching, some guys just playing well that, that needs, it's probably first and foremost, but then obviously just what this coaching staff has the demeanor that it put out there, the, the, the attitude that it put out there. And then the way that this team has bought into that. Um, it, it was interesting talking to the players after the game and, you can you get a, a real sense of the confidence, and it's easy to say after you just beat the number two team in the country, forty nine to twenty, and you just had a whole mass of humanity storming you on the field and all that. But it's you can you you, you can tell that that, and it's, it's such a cliche. You hear coaches say it all the time, but this is a group that really has bought in to these guys, and that's maybe the most important thing that they have going for them here in these next five weeks. They have confidence. They they have bought in. They believe. Uh, you know, we've seen a reduction in the the silly penalties. Although Cornell Jones uh, had one on that drive yeah. uh, uh, early in the game, you know, it didn't lead to a touchdown, but it led to points. Uh, and then, you know, poor David Blau gets an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for running <laughs> on the field. 
gonna be hilarious if that costs him like some kind of uh, good guy award later this year. Like you get one of those and you're off the well, list. How can you give that award to a guy that got a, a sportsmanlike penalty <laughs> against Ohio State? Well, I rewatched the game last night, just trying to, as I always do, just trying to pick up things that you miss while you're covering the game. And that was that was that was kind of a funny moment in a way. Yeah. I mean, just because right. here's David Blau, the you know the guy that doesn't really do anything wrong off the field and uh he would not be a guy you would think that would get flagged but here he is running out there after bailey's interception wanting to <laughs> wanting to hug his his friend and his co-captain and the referee's like hey you're not supposed to be out here <laughs> here's here's a here's a flag for you and then would he have gotten flagged if he'd had his helmet on probably not because i think that was that they specifically said that when they were right. flagging him. yes he didn't have his helmet on and he wasn't <clears throat> You know, you could he could have sold it that he was part of the extra point team. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's a quarterback. You know, right, even, I'm the holder. Yeah, but the referees don't know exactly who the holder is. Right. You know, you know maybe. Well, they probably remember that they he just was not remember. the holder earlier in the game when. <laughs> right, but maybe it was he was the backup holder, whatever. But the fact that he didn't have his helmet on was the the killer for him. So, uh, but anyway, they we they've cut down those penalties. They've bought in. Uh, they've taken to the coaching. And you know, the coaching staff has really kept kept uh, kept the thumb on him, also. And you get guys like Antonio Blackman, who you know he's a walk, you know was a walk on at one point. He was getting picked on. You, know, you really, I really didn't notice it until I went back and watched the the replay. Just how much they picked on him, they really did. And he he gave up some big gains, but that's life as a as a secondary guy. You're yep. gonna, you're going to do that. But the three plays that he was involved in, I thought were just huge plays that helped Purdue kind of keep Ohio State at bay. Um, but you get a guy like that that, you know, if they feel like they can attack, but then he steps up, and that that's part of his growth, part of the coaches believing in him, um, where he can be he can be a factor. Now, does Michigan State, like, oh, we can't go against that guy. we got to go against the other guy, and we'll, we'll see what happens Saturday with that. Yeah, I don't think it's it's necessarily a, a, a an example of, guys who have to step up and then become amazing guys at their position. It's it's about maximizing each individual player's talent. Maybe that's as good as Antonio Blackman is. Maybe it's a guy who will give up those yards and hey, there's been a lot of guys in the NFL who have long careers about that are based on getting beat like 60% of the time and then 70% I can think of some Chicago Bears that we could talk about after we're <laughs> off the air. Um, there's no reason for us to get that angry about uh, that situation, but but it's about just maximizing talent, and that's one of, that's one of the other hallmarks of what we've seen from Brom and Holt and that whole coaching staff is taking some guys who otherwise were having unspectacular careers, and they seem to either hit their ceiling or get closer to it. Here, the two keys for Blackman on the on the two pass breakups in the end zone was he was beat on both of them. But I think the coaching that he's he's received throughout the last two years enabled him not to give up on the play. That he he was beat, mm-hmm. but he was he recovered quickly enough in understanding that you don't give up on the play. And I've sat there through training camp, and I've sat there during these practices when Derek Jackson just <laughs> he yeah. is he is he is on them about don't give up on the play. Mm-hmm. And I think that that mindset helped him still make those plays, even though he was beat. And 
you can say Ohio State should have made those plays, but he got his hand in there and disrupted the play. I don't think he disru- I don't think he got his hand in there on the fourth down bubble screen, but I think his presence probably helped the receiver or prevented the receiver from getting a clean clean look at the ball and making a clean clean play on the ball. So I just thought he had he had those subtle plays in a game that I, I know a lot of people remember. But really, I mean, when you go back and watch the game again, it just they, they just really stood out. We did get some questions this week um, via Twitter, via email. You can always send those to us. I'm at InBairedJC. He's at Carmen underscore JC. Uh, InBaird at JC online. Um, you can DM me. You can send me an email, however you want to send it. Um, this one comes from Senator Fuzz uh, on Twitter. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna have to check on this. I'm not sure if the the federal equal time laws apply to podcasts. But Senator Fuzz's opponent would like to come on and ask another question next week for equal time. We'll allow that. What, but what race is Senator Fuzz in? That's a great moment? question. Um, but he's got my vote. I'm okay, just I'm just right. I'm pulling a I'm pulling I'm just checking the what is it the 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 full ballot where you can check instead of Republican Democrat I'm just checking Fuzz. <laughs> And he fuzzes all the way down. The fuzz candidate. Exactly. Uh, he asks, um, does the win change the recruiting trail for the coming years? Is it that significant of a win? Um, and, you know, I'm sure they had high-profile guys there on, on for their visit this past week. Any sense of what a win like this means in the short term or in the long term? It's something we didn't really talk about early on when we were talking about the significance of this win. But it, it, it elevated Purdue up to, I mean, the, the – spotlight of the college football world was on them definitely all Saturday night and really spilling into Sunday. I mean, it was still a conversation was happening during uh, NFL games. Drew Brees giving them a shout out after his win. Um, just it became kind of a Purdue weekend in college football. Yeah, I, I think you can, you know, it's hard to me. I've always, you know, one game shouldn't sway a recruit one way or the other. Yeah. But what it does, it proves – to those recruits that Jeff Brom and his staff are looking at, you can come to Purdue and beat an Ohio State. You can come to Purdue and you're sitting here in late November and you're in the mix for the Big Ten West Championship. You can come to Purdue and you can start 0-3 and and look what could happen to you. So I'm not trying to be their salesman here, but a win like that should resonate with recruits. Not lining up at, at outside right. the door right now ready to sign. But when when kids start factoring everything together, when you know, if if there's an elite player that wants to play in the Big Ten championship game or wants to think that they have a shot maybe to play in in the Rose Bowl or in a, in a New Year's Day bowl, you know, Purdue should be in that conversation based on what happened Saturday night, but based on what's happened since the, the 0-3 start. And, and the other thing, too, I mean, the other selling point that they're going to make is, you know, they still need an upgraded talent. I mean, this right. this program is still a long way away from, from a talent perspective across the board, uh, being able to match up even with some of the teams in the West. You, you're doing some of it with smoke and mirrors a little bit, but – I think overall that's that's how Purdue's program needs to operate in some way. You need some more talent, and I think some of that talent's coming in. But the whole, you know, you're not going to have All-Americans at 22 positions Correct. in Purdue football. You're just right. not going to do it. So you need your Jacob Thienemans. You need 
guys like that that are walk-ons or guys that were not highly recruited to still be part of your program. You need elite, you know, if you want elite athletes and elite players, you got to look at running backs and wide receivers and, uh, and players like that, and even, even quarterbacks to some degree, and along with some linebackers and defensive linemen. But it should resonate. I mean, that was probably a long answer to something. No, no, that, no. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, he was asking specifically about the recruiting impact, and I think for 2019, I think things are – I don't know how many big-time recruits are out there that Purdue's on the line for that haven't made a decision that would be swayed at this point for 2019. But I think it's, it's one of those things that potentially makes an impact – as these guys go out after the season and can go out and say, Hey, you remember, you know, here, here's a thing that we did this season. It's just one of those other things that goes on the brochure. Well, I would think that as they're looking at the 2020 class and even the 20, uh, 21 class that the way that, you know, you're allowed to communicate with recruits. A lot of that information probably was out there Sunday to them. Right. If, if they're allowed to say, okay, Hey, in case you missed, what happened Saturday night. Here's, here's, here's a reminder. And I'm sure it's part of, uh, inundation of communications that all these guys get. And, you know, it's up to them to separate what, what they, what they want and all that. But, you know, Purdue's still in the running for some guys in, in the 2019 class that can make a difference that can come in and play immediately. Uh, and they're, you know, whether this win or what they do the rest of the season, how much of an impact it has on that, it, you know, you, you just don't know. I the, the one story I always tell people is I you know, cover women's basketball. So uh, several years ago, UConn came in here and uh, beat beat the Boilermakers by fifty. It was a hundred to fifty, uh, and it wasn't expected to be a close game. Purdue had had some injuries, so it was just one of those deals that take your medicine and and mm-hmm. move on, move on to the next right. game. Well, after the game, uh, they got a commitment from a player. So a fifty point loss had no. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> had, had no had no bearing on whether this young lady was going to commit to Purdue. So I always like to share that story because it, you would think like, oh, I don't want to be a part of that program type right. of program that just that went through that. But there you have somebody that that was willing to do that. And you know, on the flip side, just because you beat the number two team in the country, they're not all just you know lining up to to be part of your program well and, and i think sometimes fans think these things really are these battles that are determined based on like you're like you're winning a recruit and it's not it's let's look at it as any other decision you make in your life when you buy a car is it just based on who had the best commercial or is it you sit down and you do a lot of research and you 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 compare a lot of different factors that maybe are only important to you and you come up with a decision you know it's 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 a lot more like that than it is a conquest that happens. Um, right. So that's something that people maybe don't understand. As well, I mean, much. if that was the case, I mean, look at the wins that Joe Tiller had in his career. Right. And he still faced an uphill battle in recruiting. And Jeff Brom's going to face a similar situation. Right. You can beat Ohio State and Michigan State, and you can win the Big Ten West this year, but you're still going to face some challenges as far as some of the elite athletes that you that you want on this team because. They, they see a path with some of these bigger programs. You know, Ohio State, the biggest thing they sell is getting to the NFL, and they've got a track record to prove it. And they can they can overwhelm you with that to the point where they're going to get you to come because you want to go to the NFL. And look, we've, look, look at what Ohio State does with guys that get the NFL. Right. And, and I think, you know, just look at basketball. Um, you know, Matt Painter, few teams can put out the kind of brochure that he puts out right now. I mean – 
as far as wins in the Big Ten for the last four years, as far as getting farther in the NCAA tournament than some of the teams that are considered the top of the conference. Um, but yet they still have some of those those same perceptions and things going on. Really, at the end of the day, though, when in recruiting, the relationships are much more important than all of these other things. If, if, if you know, all things being equal, the relationship is going to win out. And, and I think sometimes that's, being yeah. unequal, the relationship Well, I think that's out. key. I mean, I, th- I think Rondo that's... Moore. Right. I think that's key that Rondo Moore, but I also... I think it's across the board at Purdue. I think the relationships that they have with the coaches is key in their recruiting, which I think is it's not it's not different than other schools, but I think it takes on extra meaning at Purdue when you factor in, you know, maybe the, some of the shortcomings that Purdue has from its location, and you know, it's not a sexy place from 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 that standpoint. Right. But you're right. I mean, I think the relationship. I think Painter does a really good job with that. But I think uh, the other coaches at Purdue have to do a similar job. Um, and I think that's that's big in Jeff Brom's world. And if and it, it's paid off. It has. And, I, you know, and not to get on another topic, but, you know, if Jeff Brom would leave this program, you would see recruits not come to Purdue. That's how much they value him and what he's done and the relationship that he – and his coaching staff, and the staff and, yeah. yeah, the staff have built up with with recruits. We but do. we don't need to go down that well, path right now. I was say we got a lot of questions <laughs> about that this week. We're not going to go down that road. It's it's um, it's a topic we could talk about for hours. Probably it's something fans are semi obsessed with right now. I would say just kind of buckle in and enjoy this season and worry about those things later on. It it may not be as big a factor as, or a big a issue this year as as you're some some of you are fearing that it will be. Um, Look, so let's let's switch gears and now because we're getting kind of late, let's talk about Michigan State. They're four and three right now. Uh, it's a team that has had a really interesting season because they've beaten Penn State and they've lost to Arizona State. They barely beat Utah State to open the season. They lost to Northwestern. Uh, uh, lost to Northwestern um, and uh, just got beat twenty-one to seven by Michigan the, this past week in a game that had all sorts of soap opera elements uh, before and after and still bleeding into this week. So that should be fun uh, a year from now for our, our, our friends that, that cover those programs. You want my conspiracy theory on that? I would on, love to hear on, it. On the soap opera that's, sure. track, that, 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 that's trickling into this week, it's all, it's, it's all devised by Jim Harbaugh because he knows that Purdue is playing Michigan State this week and he wants to see Michigan State go down again. So he's creating all these distractions to prevent Michigan State from truly focusing on Purdue. And for the first time in his life, he's he's rooting for Purdue to beat Michigan State. That's why he keeps bringing all this stuff up. That's my conspiracy theory on that. And I have I have many conspiracy theories that I share in the office every day. We just don't share them on the podcast right. all the time. <laughs> we should just do an offshoot podcast, just a conspiracy <laughs> pod, Carms conspiracies, the Carmspiracy podcast. But anyway, just to take away the attention of them trying to get back on track, I think he's I think Harbaugh's playing playing that role this week. Well, we mentioned some some Spartan or some Purdue players that are a little banged up. Um, Michigan State's dealing with that in significant oh, ways too, right? I now. mean, their offensive line is not the same offensive line that started the year. I mean, the list of injuries is just it's it's long. They have running back issues. They lost one of their top receivers last week. Uh, even their quarterback is banged up, and he's playing. And he was like at one point five for twenty four last week. Granted, that's against Michigan's defense, which is at a eight times level that Purdue's defense is at right now, but they just have a lot of injuries that they have not been able to overcome. 
Um, and I, you know, I think Purdue has a has a really good chance to win this game, not based on what they did against Ohio State, but obviously they'll have the confidence. But I just feel like Michigan State has a ceiling offensively of what it can score in a game. Um, You know, if they can get in the 20s, I think that's a tremendous accomplishment. I just don't think they can get more than that. And I think Purdue can. I think Purdue can can take advantage of some of the shortcomings they have on defense, especially, you know, going down the field. Purdue will have trouble running the ball because Michigan State is really uh, a really good run defense. Um, but I just, again, I still, I think they have that ceiling that they can only get to. And, you know, Rondo Moore may be the best playmaker on the field. Uh, he on, was sad. <laughs> I mean, I thought, I thought he was the standout player on that field. Well, I mean, you he, don't usually say that yeah. when Purdue and Ohio State play each other. Right. I saw it happen with Ryan Kerrigan and I saw it happen <laughs> with Rondo right. Moore. Right. I mean, you, but you could throw DJ Knox in that mix a little yep. bit different, different, different kind of uh, playmaker, but, um, but Rondell Moore may be the best playmaker on the field on Saturday uh and it Jeff Brom is not shy about getting him the ball because I asked him the question yesterday I mean he was targeted I think 18 times in that game and Jeff admitted well early in the year he wouldn't have done that because mm-hmm. he would, he was playing a little bit I wouldn't say the word afraid but he just was a little bit passive and in, in doing that it's now it's like oh yeah <laughs> here's here's 10 plays we're gonna in a yeah. row that they're, they're gonna run for Ron, yeah. for Rondell and um yeah, you've got this special weapon. You got to use him. I don't think they're overusing him right now, um, but there are probably more opportunities they can use him in different situations. So, I mean, I, I think Purdue has a really good chance to go up there and win. Now, you, you have equalizers, you have weather, you have turnovers, you have penalties, all that kind of stuff. And Purdue get, did get some help last week from Ohio State on some some really key and yeah. bad penalties by them. I mean, if they don't get that straightened out, they're they're I mean they're going to get trounced by Michigan. Uh, well, it's the same thing that Purdue was doing right. in those early games, yeah, frankly. I mean, what, what we saw from Ohio State was what Purdue was doing in those first two games, and yeah. that's why they started 0-2 and 0-3. So, yeah, I, I think it'll, it'll be a tough game. Purdue's going to have to, you know, as, I think as we talked about last week, and I know I've written about it, now they're getting into the season where they're they're facing top-of-the-line defenses in the Big Ten, where last year they had, they had trouble scoring, had trouble generating points against – some of the better defenses in the Big Ten. I don't put Ohio State in that category, even though they their numbers tell you that their defense was okay. Uh, but I do put Michigan State in that category. And I know yeah. they're banged up. They have some injuries. But um, it's still a solid defense. They have a solid plan. They're, they're well coached. Um, so Purdue's going to have to, to come up with some ways to generate some yards and points. But I do feel the way they're playing offensively, I think they'll be able to – to do enough to win that game on Saturday. It's always the little things with Rondo more that impress me the most. We've talked on here before about those, like those sweeps where it looks like he's going to be a three yard loss and ends up being a gain. And the thing that was striking me against Ohio state and a team that has supposedly the athletes that Ohio state has on the field, even at linebacker and, and nickel and stuff, the separation he has on all of those routes, just consistently, just every time he was open all night and you would think that at some point, <laughs> there's going to be extra help or something and maybe there was, but I mean, he was, he's an option every time that David Blau gets a snap, which I think is, is kind of fascinating. Well, he's a, he's an option, but he's also a decoy. And yeah, they too, would, yeah. and one of the replay, it was, it was the Isaac Zico touchdown, uh, the first score where the, the, the TV people went back and looked at it and said, okay, now look at the eyes of the safety. Look at the eyes of the linebacker. Both of them were on Rondell Moore. 
And just having their eyes on Rondell Moore allowed Zico to get a little bit of separation, but also prevented that safety from maybe getting over there a step or two quicker where he could have disrupted that that play. I mean, Zico, again, you don't appreciate it until you go back and watch it, the one-handed catch he made oh, in the corner of the end catch. zone. We had a really good picture yeah. of it, too. I don't know if people saw in our gallery, but, yeah, it was a tremendous catch. But that's what Rondell Moore is doing to opponents. He's forcing them to look for him. And that, yeah. you know, as, as we've said and I've written, I mean, that has just opened up the playbook for – for everybody else to have have an opportunity to to make some plays. And when you say decoy, it's not that they have to break and go cover him. Sometimes, it, I mean, life comes at you fast out there. Sometimes it's just that quick distract, that quick turn of your head, and all of a sudden the ball's going the other way and you don't have time to recover. Right. It's just, you're just looking for that step or two advantage that your other guy can get in a one-on-one situation because, the, you know, the, the safety or the linebacker had to just pay attention to Rondell Moore for, for a brief moment to make sure that he wasn't part of the part of the play. Uh, and the guy that's maybe not getting his due right now is DJ Knox too. He's almost getting overlooked, but it's, this was another game where I thought he just – I don't know if last year, even though he was a year removed from the injury, if he wasn't all the way back yet, but he seems to be running just with a different ferocity this year. He's always, he's, he's always run angry. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that's been brought up before, but he, that's just the way he is. He, he, he has a – he has a lot of chips on his shoulder. Yeah. And it's just that's how he wants to play the game. That's how he grew up. That's how he that's how he approaches things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he does run angry. And, you know, he's on pace right now to become Purdue's first 1,000-yard rusher since 2008. Um, he's just shy of 700. Is that Bolden? No, that would have been Corey Sheets. Corey Sheets, okay. Um, Bolden never got there. Okay. Because uh, Purdue was in the uh, – it was uh, 09. They were on pace to have a 3,000 yard passer, hmm. um, 2,000 yard receiver, and a 1,000 yard rusher. But uh, Ralph tweaked his hamstring, not in the bucket game, but the game before. Okay. Uh, and actually, I was having this conversation with the uh, Purdue Football SID uh, over last week at some point uh, about that stat. That's why it's kind of fresh in my gotcha. <laughs> fresh in my mind. Anyway, I mean he's averaging ninety some yards a game, and uh, if he continues on his pace, they'll have a they'll have a thousand yard rusher. And I know Jeff Rom is all about the pass, and he should be, and that's what Purdue is about. But he un- he also understands the value of a running game. He understands what it can do, and they, you know, Purdue passes the ball to set up the run. Right. You know, it's not traditional football from that standpoint. But you know, we've kind of moved past that era anyway. But he he's the value in the running game, and I think Purdue has has reached its its level of balance between the two. Not in terms of yards. I never I I try not to look at balance in terms of yards. I look at balance in terms of play calls and what are you doing to 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 make sure that your the defense honors both because you don't want to become one dimensional, and that's what Ohio State has become with its offense. They are a one dimensional team because they can't run the ball effectively and they yep. can't run the ball in the red zone. So that's why you have Dwayne Haskins throwing the ball 73 times. I mean, my gosh, <laughs> 73 times. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a long night and that was one of the many reasons why. Um, well, we're, we've run uh, pretty long here. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time. We'll, we'll, we will eventually get around to talk more basketball on these podcasts. We got that season starting soon. Purdue's got um, open scrimmage with West Virginia this weekend. 
the exhibition game against Marion next Wednesday or Thursday. I can't remember which day the first is. Uh, Thursday. And then uh, the season opener, uh, November 6th. Still a lot of things to, for them to kind of um, iron out. You know, I think the, they think the talent's there. We saw it on uh, Saturday, the, 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 the open practice that they held, the open scrimmage they held for, for uh, fans. Um, so you see the good things that are happening, but you also see that there's still some places where they don't know exactly where guys are going to fit. So that's going to be interesting to watch here in the next uh, two weeks as the, the season gets even closer or well, it'll start in two weeks. So um, anyway, uh, thanks for joining us again on Boilers Extra. Uh, rate us, subscribe, uh, do all those things on iTunes, on Stitcher, on uh, SoundCloud, on Google Play, anywhere you can find us. Uh, I'm Nathan Baird, in Baird JC on Twitter. He's Mike Carmen at Carmen underscore JC. Join us again uh, Saturday from Lansing, where we hopefully will not be in an overnight situation. We can uh, have that to you. Uh, It'll be the rolling podcast. It'll be another on the road podcast, our second one, uh, third one of the season. So you can look forward to that. Uh, thanks again, and we'll talk to you then.